Well, good morning, Grace. It is good to see uh, people in person today. Uh, so we are thankful that you are here, but we're also thankful for, th for those who are able to join us online today. Uh, so thank you for, for joining us uh, here this morning to worship God together. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Bill Blackford. I am the uh, pastor of students here at Grace, and it, it is a privilege for me to open God's Word and share it with you this morning. Uh, so this morning we are going to continue our series uh, in Turning the World Upside Down. Uh, last week Mark uh, asked us several questions about trusting God, uh, and it seems as though we love to ask questions. We love to ask questions about everything. Uh, and we want to know the answers to those questions. We want to know what is the most important question in the world, okay? What, what is going on? So here are a few questions and see how you answer them. So who would you consider to be the greatest quarterback? Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Joe Theismann, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees? We're all going to answer that different. I know that, okay? But think about this one. Who is the greatest composer of all times? Mozart, Beethoven, Chopin, Debussy? There's others, but who would you say? I know you'll like this one. What's your best favorite of ice cream? <clears throat> would it be chocolate, strawberry, mint chip, peanut butter fudge? The list goes on, okay? What are you going to answer? And for all you hockey fans, who's the greatest hockey player of all times? Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, and say, who's Bobby Orr, right? Okay. How about Gordie Howe? Or is it Alex Ovechkin? Who is it, okay? The questions go on and on. We could talk about cars, movies, candy bars, books, actors, actresses. The list goes on. But we all want to know what is the greatest question out there. Not much has changed throughout history. And the interesting thing is that we find out it goes all the way back to the time of Jesus when a religious leader asked Jesus one of the greatest questions ever asked. See, Jesus is in Jerusalem for the final week of his life. The tension has been mounting throughout his ministry, and it all comes down to this right here. See, the religious leaders have been furious with Jesus. They've already confronted him about his authority in cleansing the temple, and they tried to trap him with a question about politics. In fact, their loyalty to Caesar. They challenged him with a theological question regarding the resurrection uh, and the afterlife. And today, we find a religious leader who is going to ask him about the law. Jesus will summarize all of God's law in two sentences. He will declare the greatest command in God's law, and we will discover how God's law relates to the kingdom of God. So today's message is the greatest commandment. Uh, <clears throat> So talk about turning the world upside down. If we could grasp the significance of this command, we would be able to turn this world upside down. Maddox, thank you for reading scripture this morning. I uh, appreciate that. And so as he read, we, we find here a surprisingly positive encounter with Jesus with one of the scribes. Every other encounter Jesus had with the religious leader was hostile and contentious. And yet, this man here shows a significant interest and a genuine interest in what Jesus thought about the law. So, what was that question? 
He asked, what is the greatest commandment? And so my first point, love God passionately, because that's where he starts. And Jesus did not respond like you thought he would. He responds with, or he did not respond like this. He didn't say, what are you talking about? There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. How am I supposed to tell you what is the most important? Nor did he say, commandments, those are so old-fashioned, they're so old-school, they're outdated. Forget about the commandments. Live your life the way you want to. Be happy. After all, it's all going to work out in the end. No, he didn't say that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is just one God out of many. All streams of religion lead to the same source. No, Jesus affirms that the God of the Bible is the one true God. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, he affirms that the only way to know this one God is through a personal love relationship with him. He finds that our need for relationships can only truly be met in a love relationship with our creator. It is through this relationship with our creator that we learn how to live in this fallen world. Our values, our morals, all stem from this relationship. And Jesus is simply saying the moral standard that ought to drive us is God. See, God and his law should dictate how we live our lives. Tim Keller uh, made these comments in a sermon that he had back in 2014, I believe it was. It says, until you understand that everything in the law is about love and that love is only given definition by the law, you don't understand what the law is really after. Love defines what it means to live lawfully. Love is what the law is always after, even though sometimes it's put in a negative form. He goes on to say, the only motivation for law-keeping, for doing all the things God commands you to do with your fellow man and women, the only possible source of law-keeping would be a heart that is just head over heels in love with Jesus. Head over heels in love with God and the Lord. So as we see, love for others can only truly flow when we love the one who made us. Our love for God is primary, not just because God is primary, but because without it, we cannot be the people that he wants us to be. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, said, we love because why? He first loved us. See, love is a two-way relationship. And we are not just called to love a book. Even such a precious book as God's Word. We are called to love a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus responds to the scribe's question by reciting the Shema, which comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And there it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the foundation creed, foundational creed of the Jewish faith. And they would recite this creed every morning and every evening. So Jesus is simply reminding them 
the creed of the Jewish faith. <clears throat> this, that, that he is the only one true God. That Jesus starts off telling him to love God for who he is. So are we loving God for who he is? The Lord, in this passage here, it says the Lord, talking about Yahweh. The Lord our God, Lord our God, Elohim, which is Hebrew for God. Then it goes on and says the Lord, Yahweh again, he is one. So Yahweh is God's covenant name declared to his people. The root of this name means self-existing. One who never came into being. The one who has always been and the one who will always be. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one who created you. He is the one who created us in his image. He knew us even before we were born. God knows everything about us. And yet he still loves us. It says in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward part. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, he sustains us. He helps us. He goes before us. You should love God because of who he is. He is our God. He is not a God that is distant or far from you. He is near you and he is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But we tend to forget everything that God has done for us. See, we're very much like the Israelites. The Lord God gave them the word of the Shema just before they entered the promised land. And he knew that they were entering this land that was beautiful and rich. But he also knew that they would have a tendency to forget what God had done for them. That God was the one who delivered them out of Egypt with his mighty hand. That he provided protected and sustained them in the wilderness that he was their God yet they had a tendency to forget don't we have that same tendency as well we forget how God has provided for us during this COVID pandemic we forget how God has strengthened us and got us through those surgeries or helped us through cancer or you name it what, what has God helped you through we tend to forget all that God has done for us and we know that the psalmist says, in God's presence is fullness of joy. We know God is what we need most, but we forget. We allow other things to take the place of God in our lives. As Pastor Mark shared last week with us, that we allow our worries and our anxieties to get in the way of loving God. So I ask you this question here. What things are taking the place of God in your life? See, not only are we to love God for who he is, but we should also love God with all we are. Do we love God with all you are? For it says in verse 30, <clears throat> use that word all four times. It's repeated. And that emphasizes the necessity of the total response of love to the Lordship of God. The four different words, heart, soul, mind and strength are meant to communicate that we are to love God with all that we are and with all that we do. The heart speaks to our emotions, the real me on the inside. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is God number one in your heart. The soul speaks to the spirit, 
the self-conscious life that we have. Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So as our soul thirsts or pants for God, my love for God will indeed grow and my affections and emotions will be in tune with his will and it will set aflame a desire to serve him. He goes on and says the mind. That speaks of our intelligence or our thought life. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey God. We seek to keep our minds pure and to have all of our thoughts disciplined and controlled by what he has revealed in scripture. We must seek to do that, keep our minds pure. He goes on and he finishes up with our strength, speaking to our bodily power or perhaps even our will. In Isaiah 40, 29, it says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases their strength. See, all of our strength and all of our energy must come from God himself. God, is not, God does not want us to give him a partial amount. He desires all of us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we know that if we love God passionately with all of our being, then we will find our deepest satisfaction and acceptance. But we get sidetracked. We forget. We look to other things to find our significance and acceptance. Some of us turn to our jobs. Others of us turn to our spouses, our kids, our money, our sense of being well-liked, our accomplishments. And we think that those things will give us the joy and satisfaction that we need the most. But it doesn't. Those things are all good things, but they can't be the ultimate thing. Let's be honest. We all have a tendency to give our heart, soul, mind, and strength to something other than God. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So is God really your God? Or are you allowing other things to become your God? We all struggle with spiritual amnesia. We forget that God is the only ultimate thing in the universe. So I ask you this, what are you not yielding to God? What do you struggle with? Let's take an example here. Let's say a couple buys a house. Just got married, they buy this house. They say, man, we're so excited. We just got this new house. This house belongs to both of us. It's beautiful. But you see the guy, he has a man cave and he doesn't allow his wife to go into his man cave. But on the flip side, she's got a she shed. And she does not allow him to go into her she shed. So really, does that house belong to all of them? Or does all that house belong to both of them? They're holding things back. Isn't that what we do with God? We say that you can have all of me, except for maybe my thoughts. You can't have that. I don't want you to know what I'm thinking about, God. And so does God really have all of us? He wants all of us. So what things in your life are you, is keeping you from loving God passionately? 
And are there areas that you need to surrender to God that might be hindering your relationship with him? Remember, he wants all of us. So the scribe, he asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? But you see, Jesus actually gave him two. And he closes by saying, there is no commandment greater than these, meaning that he views these two commands as one singular unit. They go together. They can't be divorced from each other. And that actually makes sense because if we think back, look at the Ten Commandments. They're broken up into two categories. The first four relate to how our love for God is. The last six relate to how our love for others is. They go together. They cannot be disconnected. So love for God is the foundation of our love for people. We must love God first and then we will be able to love people as we should. But the truth is, as Christians, we struggle to live like that. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Those who love God passionately will be able to love people genuinely. So my second point is, love others genuinely. But first, we must decide who is our neighbor. Because it says to love your neighbor as yourself. Is it the person that lives next door to you across the street? Is it the person that sits in the cubicle at work next to you? Uh, Is it just the people that you like, that are in your circle of friends? Well, Jesus helps uh, make this thing a little bit clearer in Matthew, and he broadens that sphere of who we are to love when he tells us that we are to love our enemies also. So Matthew 5, 43 and 44 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus is saying it is not only those who live next door to us or those we meet at work or those people that we like. It is all humans that we should love, even our enemies. It's easy to love the people we like, but what about those that you don't necessarily like? Or appreciate. It's a totally different when you love someone who you like, but what about those you dislike, or you don't like their lifestyle, or you don't think that they deserve to be loved? Can you still show love to them? See, he elevated the challenge to those created in God's image, because all humans deserve to be loved regardless of their race, occupation, or social status. So what does it look like to love all others? Jesus says we should love others the same way we love ourselves. The command is to love your neighbor as yourself. You notice Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, not instead of yourself. So how do we show love for self? Well, You know what your needs are? I know what my needs are. And here are some of my needs that I have, okay? A few of the basic needs that I have. I need food, clothing, shelter, transportation. I want good health. And I have a desire to be loved. And I try to meet those needs for myself. Let's look at the needs of what our neighbors have. 
some of the basic needs of our neighbors are food, clothing, shelter, transportation, the desire for good health, the desire to be loved. Hmm, now let me think. Those are very similar to my needs. So how do we love our neighbor? By helping them meet their needs when they cannot. Do we do that? Do we help them meet their needs? And see, we have the opportunity to love our neighbor this week. In fact, tonight and Tuesday, what are we doing from five to seven? We're collecting canned goods, non-perishable items to donate to our local food pantry. Stop by Gyra Place today, Tuesday, five to seven, drop them off, we'll take them to the food pantry where they can be distributed to our neighbors as we share the love of Christ with them. We also have the opportunity on August 1st to be involved in Grace Gives One Day. Please join us as we love our neighbors, as we pass out flowers and gift baskets to our shut-ins, to our local nursing homes. Maybe we'll also deliver meals to our local police department and fire departments. Or maybe you would like to go outside, be socially distanced, and do some yard work. We've got plans for that. Please join us for, on August 1st. Or maybe God is calling you to do a backyard Bible club in your neighborhood, right where you live, so that you can share the love of Christ with your neighbors, with those kids that live right there in your, your local neighborhood. Or maybe you want to step out on your own and you want to walk across the street and do something nice for your neighbor. Maybe you could wash their car for them. Maybe you could cut their grass for them. Maybe you could even just take their trash cans back up when the trash man's done. Okay? But no matter what we do, we need to understand that love requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. See, showing love may require the sacrifice of my time. Love may require the sacrifice of my money. Love may require the sacrifice of my emotions. A couple examples for you. It might mean that when you get that call at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, when a high school student's just had a flat tire and they've never changed a tire in their life, they hadn't been taught, and they say, Pastor Bill, can you come and help me change my tire? What do you do? I'm in bed. I'm sleeping. What do you do? You get up, put your clothes on, and you go help them. Or it might be, I'm on a youth trip. I'm skiing, having an awesome time on the slopes. And I get a call from the uh, crew that's there, okay, that someone of your, in your group has just had an accident, and I think they broke their collarbone. I'm on the slopes. I'm having a great time. I want to enjoy the day. I don't want to have to go take care of my friend. But what do you do? You go help them. You go meet their needs. You know, it's easy to do that for those that you like. But what about those that you don't really know about? Just for example, I want you to imagine, okay, that you've just come upon an accident and the, the car has been flipped up over on its top and you're the first one to arrive. And as you arrive, you see that there's a person trapped inside. And so you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop and help that person? Or do you say, you know what? 
Why should I stop and help that person? I don't know that person. And besides, I'm not even trained in how to get them out of that car. And, and if they have issues or struggles, I don't know how to treat them then. What do you do? You say, oh, the paramedics, when they get here, they'll take care of them. No. You stop and you help that person. And why do you do that? Because you, you remember what God's word has to say to us. You remember that all people are created in God's image. And love calls you to sacrifice and help those who need help when they need help. And by doing so, you are sharing the love of God through that helping. We are to love God. And as I love God more, I love those who have been created by God in his image. See, I was created in God's image, and all other human beings are created in God's image. So it makes sense that we should love both self and others. Okay. See, there's a healthy kind of self-love that recognizes we are the object of both the creating and the redeeming part of God's love. To hate oneself is actually an offense to God. Because of the redeeming love God has shown us, we now know the love a person has for himself is turned towards others. It says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 5, Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, the more I rightly love myself, the more I will de deny myself and love others. Did you get that? The more I rightly love myself, the more I will deny myself and I will love others. We need to serve the needs of others with all the energy passion, and zeal with which I attempt to meet my own needs. However, only by loving my God passionately will I be able to love others, and when I say others, I mean all others, genuinely. And as I do so, I demonstrate that I love my God passionately. Is it any wonder why Jesus said these two commands, there's no greater command than these, that these two commands truly are one. And as believers, we should have a proper love and respect for all that God has made. Our love for God comes before our love for neighbors and thus establishes our ability to, to love our neighbor. So loving others is the expression of loving God and what he has created. John, once again, in 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. And we can love others because he first loved us. And as we can see from what we've looked at this morning, love is an action. See, I often ask my middle schoolers and high school students, I say, how do you spell love? And my response back to them is A-C-T-I-O-N. Action. How do you show your love to other individuals? We love them by what we do for them. 
But as we do that, and as we think of eternity, we also understand that we need to understand that love is crucial for salvation. Love is crucial for salvation. See, the scribe uh, answered Jesus by agreeing with what he had said. Uh, Maddox read this. He said, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, he is saying, Jesus, I realize that all the rituals we are doing in the temple, all these religious traditions, they're not enough. No matter how much we read our Bible, or how much we try to do good, or live a moral life, no matter how much we do, no matter how much we go to church, we aren't able to remove the stain of sin from our heart. And he's admitting that. He realizes that, realizes that his religious system can't make him right with God. But he also realizes that to live a life of love the way Jesus described it is impossible. We can't do it ourselves. And he knew that. And Jesus says, you are close. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And let me say this, that, that's meant to actually be an encouragement for us today. So because here's a religious leader who has no business exploring the claims of Jesus. They actually should be enemies. But Jesus tells that scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He is not far from crossing that line of faith. Listen, what that teaches us is, is that no one, no one is beyond the hope of experiencing the life-changing power of Jesus. Jesus says, you are close. You understand sacrifices are not enough. Trying to obey, obey the religious rules is not enough. But do you understand what scripture says? You need to understand that in Romans 1 where it says, the righteous shall live by faith. You need to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God. And you receive that by faith. Do you get that? You need to understand that you enter God's kingdom by recognizing Jesus as king. Scripture says that he is so close, but he couldn't quite get there. But close doesn't cut it. And he left without knowing, and we are left without knowing what happened to the scribe. It doesn't tell us. And there are people here today that are very similar to that scribe. We are close. Some of you listening online, you are close but close doesn't cut it. Some of you are only about 12 inches from receiving Christ to becoming a Christian. You see, you know all the facts. You've been going to church. You've been good. But you've never taken that knowledge of God, that 12 inches from your head to your heart. Have you done that today? See, we don't know what happened to the scribe but we do know what Jesus did and he didn't just leave that man there to figure it out all of his own and Jesus didn't even have to say anything else because what did he do he simply showed him what to do he took action you see because in just a few days Jesus would be arrested convicted tortured and hung on a cross and he did it for this man 
and he did it for us. Jesus is the only one who has always loved God and others every day, every moment, every person. And because of the great love that God has for us, he was willing to cast all of his wrath against our sin onto his son. He pours out all of our pride, all of our greed, all of our selfishness, all of our bitterness onto Jesus so that you and I could be set free from the punishment of God's law. He nailed all of our sins to the cross so we could stand before God, the perfect judge, and to be declared not guilty. This is the news of a father who loves us fiercely and immensely. A father who, even though we continually reject him and seek our joy in other things, he continues to love us and pursue us. This is a father who wants to show us how deeply he loves us, not by simply sending an angel or an animal to sacrifice for us, but to send his one and only son to take our sins and death and give us life and peace through the power of the resurrection. And he did this so that through faith in Jesus as our Savior and King, we could be given the gift of being adopted as sons and daughters of God. If you have not done that, will you do that today? Will you accept Christ today? Accept that free gift of salvation before it is too late. You can do that right where you are. In the pew here at home watching, you can do that right now. Ask Christ to be Lord of your life. Take it from your head to your heart. For those of you that are already Christians, will you remember that Jesus fulfilled the great commandment for you? Will you remember that you can walk in the assurance that you already have God's approval and love? When you truly believe that you have God's approval and love, you will be empowered to do what seems impossible. To love God passionately and others genuinely. So as we leave today, let's go out and turn this world upside down for Christ by loving God passionately and loving others genuinely. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your love that you have shown to us, that you did not spare your son, but you gave him as a perfect sacrifice so that we can have eternal life. And Father, we thank you that we have the capability to love others simply because of the love that you have shown to us. So Father, help us first to accept the love that you have for us so that we are able then to go out and love other people like we need to. So Father, I pray for our congregation today, for those that are here, for those who are at home, those of you that have just tuned in, maybe listening, Father, that if they haven't accepted you, that they would do that today. And Father, for those who have a personal relationship with you, Father, help us to go out and love our neighbors as ourselves, to share the love of Christ with them, to show them in very practical ways what you have done for them, and then to speak up and share your love with them. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.